guys, it's Tats here from Castagra, and you're listening to Specify, the Building Materials Innovation Podcast. The goal of this podcast is to help the entrepreneurs and the innovators who are making a positive difference in the building materials, coatings, and construction industry. Each episode, we'll tap leaders and experts from inside and outside the industry to provide the mental tools, skills, and insights to make an impact. Today's guest is Henry Staggs, owner of Preferred Roofing Consultants of Arizona. Henry is a veteran in the roofing industry and the creator of the site, thearizonaroofer.com. His mission is to improve the roofing industry in Arizona. Henry, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. One correction, it's a preferred roof consultant. Ah, yes. Roofing. But of course. everybody does that, so don't feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. So, Henry, tell me about your background. Well, my great-grandfather, he moved them around by the town I grew up in and uh, converted them into apartment homes, multifamily. And that's how he, uh, he made his living. And uh, became somewhat wealthy doing it. So when we were kids, if you want any money, you got to go to grandpa because he had the money. Grandpa, he didn't give his money away. He had to work. So myself and a few of my cousins, we were willing to do pretty much anything he asked. So we were calling putting heat tape on pipes and going up on the, the roofs and uh, doing roof repairs and nailing down stables and things like that to earn a few bucks. Grandpa. Started that about the age of 12 or so. And then uh, by the time I was 17, uh, me and a friend started a little company, SLS Services. We bought this old blue dog van, and we couldn't decide whether we wanted to do drywall, which is what he did, or roofing, which is what I wanted to do. So we put roofing on one side of the van with his number, with his number, and we put drywall on the other side of the van with his number. And we drove around town just to see who would call us the most, and that'd be the direction we go. And ended up that some general contractors saw us, and they started hiring us to subcontract for them. And so we we did roofing, and then uh, from there did a little bit of second tier subcontracting on a military base company in uh, Oklahoma doing restoration work, and then uh, came back out here. I had been out here previously, and uh, started working as a contractor. And then uh, now working as a consultant. Okay, sounds good. So, give me a timeline. How long have you been in, in the industry? Sorry. Since I was 12 and I turned 50 in August. Mm, that's a long time. What? Uh, you've, have you always <laughs> been in the <laughs> <laughs> No, no, not always. I, I have tried to escape a few times. I made a few attempts. I I was a print broker and a graphic artist for a while, so and I went and got my degree in visual communications at a local art school here. And I did that for a little while, and and I also worked as um, a clinical pastoral chaplain at one of the local hospitals, and was studying pastoral care and psychology in university. Then, but I like to ripping. That's where my heart is and my passion, I guess, as I've learned. But you know that, that those other I had some handyman businesses and a few other things too, but every one of those things I did, I was able to learn something and bring back to my, my industry. For example, the pastoral care, you got to learn to listen, really pass the word and the person beneath the word. And that, that helped me a lot in sales and getting to the, what a person's actual needs are in their, 
you know, pertaining to ripping and all that kind of stuff. And of course, uh, printing and designing logos and laying out uh, my own brochures and business cards has saved me a ton of money over the years. Graphics work is is not cheap. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Good graphics work is not cheap. Absolutely. So you use the word escape. What do you mean by that? Uh, Did you guys get fed up over it or what what happened when you wanted to uh, escape? So the the riffing industry is hard work. It's very tough. It's hot. It's dangerous. It's dirty. It's kind of thinkless a lot to these guys. I mean, they, they they work their fingers to the bone and then it kind of... I'll check maybe and not a whole lot of things whatnot. So they can get a little frustrating by being the, the boots on the rough, which hopefully is something we can change. But so it's kind of what I mean by escape. You know, you just, you just kind of after a while and then you want to get away and do something else. But and in my case, anyways, I found out that my passion was there because I take great pride in my, um, my work, my craft and my trade. So I came back, but so I guess it's tongue in cheek. <laughs> I wasn't really trying to escape necessarily. Like I hated it or something. I thought I want to do something else. Try some other things and see if I can stay off the ladder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's tough work. Yeah, definitely. So you- I'll say one, one more thing on that. You know, so working for everybody that's in the industry, it usually it almost always started as like a, a part-time summer job, and and then thirty years later they're still doing it. So for for in the roofing industry, it's kind of a running joke. Everybody will have some kind of a an escape attempt story <laughs> or, you know, or the, or the other joke is, yeah, hey, I took this part-time job 30 years ago. Someday I'll get a job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So I, you know, I saw that uh, one of your missions is to improve the roofing industry. What parts of the roofing uh, industry needs uh, improving? Every part, <laughs> every part. So most contractors, not all, but most contractors are guys who work for somebody, figure they could do it better, and they start their own company. And a handful of them succeed, and they keep pressing on. Do okay. Most of them sadly don't. Because I have a, I don't know to say this wrong, but they're they're good guys, but a lot of them aren't business guys. They're they're tradesmen mm-hmm. trying to do business. So. So there's a lot of kind of short-sighted, not a lot of planning, and, and ways we can help them with that. And then the, there's been a lot of challenges with labor. There's a severe labor shortage, skilled labor shortage. You know, we're just not finding a lot of people who want to come into the industry. And the guys who are, they're in their 40s and 50s and, and up, and they're, kind of, they're leaving the industry. So we've got to figure out, how to entice younger folks into the industry and train them to be good, productive people, but mostly have a, a pride in their craft. Go out there and make a few bucks, but something they can stand back at, look at, and be proud. This is what I did, and that's not going to leak because I did it and I did it right. That, that we need a lot more pride in our craft, and yeah. One of the things I see you sort of harping on on uh, social media is safety. Tell me about that. Yeah, safety. Some laws came into effect in the early 70s. Yep. Some of these roofers still don't know they even exist. So you drive in any residential neighborhood and find roofers on a roof in a residential neighborhood, probably they're not going to have any protection. They don't even care of it. I wouldn't even know how to don a harness properly. And that is, I'm sorry to say, but that's the fault of the contractor. Contractor's responsibility is to, is to identify the hazards and then provide protection for his employees. 
mean, that's, that's not a good idea. That's not a suggestion. But these guys, they just don't do it. And it's enforced in a lot of places. So why would they? You know, they, they think it slows them down or they'll say it's more dangerous or a lot of guys feel like makes them look like they're a chicken or something. I don't know. So all kinds of reasons they don't wear it. But, but the bottom line is it is law. And, and a professional, in my opinion, would want to wear that uh, fall protection. And by the way, if one company is working on a job and he's got all his fall protection and there's another company working across the street, the guy with the right, with the right harnesses and the, and the fall protection ropes and the lines put up, he's going to look so much more professional than the other guy and probably get more jobs out of it. And then uh, just here, just a few blocks from my house on a new construction project, fell right through and hit the, hit the foundation and, and that's it. 30 years old, he's got a child at home and a wife now. So he's a father and a husband, a son, he's a brother, and he's not coming home ever again. So it didn't just affect him and his life, but it affected his entire family. Uh, the guys that are on the crew that saw it happen, anybody else that was there, the city, there's an investigation going on. There's a huge ripple effect. And I'm embarrassed to say that when I bring up fall protection a lot, I get some pretty harsh comments from people. Roofers, some roofers, and they'll, they'll name call and they'll make accusations. And, you know, I don't even know fall protection. I know whatever. You know. And I, I think it's uh, kind of an embarrassment to our industry. That is something that really, really needs to uh, change. It needs to change uh, soon. How do you think change can happen? Well, I tend to agree with, with OSHA. So let me back up a little bit. I took uh, the OSHA authorized training course here at ASU to become an authorized OSHA trainer. So I'm authorized to teach OSHA 10 and OSHA 30 classes. And I wanted to know all I could know about, obviously, uh, OSHA training as it uh, concerns the roofing industry. And one of the, one of the teachers said that OSHA wants to change the culture so that safety is like breathing. But sometimes the only way to do that is to hit someone in their wallet. And I'm afraid that the only way we're going to see a cultural shift here is if some of the, some contractors get hit with large fines and have to suffer from it. And I, I don't want to see that happen, but I honestly don't know how anybody else is going to all of a sudden step and pay attention unless they, they see that, oh boy, it really could have put somebody out of business. And that scares me is, so there's a couple of guys, I think one's in Florida and one's in New York. There's another guy on the East Coast somewhere, but they're, they're contractors who were using subs. Subs were not wearing fall protection. Somebody died on the site. And those contractors are being charged with manslaughter. And I, from what I've heard to the grapevine, we might see more of that kind of thing happening to try to force that change in the, in the culture. It's been in effect since the 70s. The guys should know by now. It's not <laughs> like it's new. They just came up with this stuff last year. There's been plenty of time to, to do this. And the training is sometimes free. There's all the equipment out there. There's absolutely zero reason for any roof not to be. And again, that's the responsibility of the contractor. It's his duty, as they call it, to have fall protection to make sure that it happens. So, so summarize. It's the job of the contractor to make sure that it happens. Unfortunately, unless contractor sees other contractors getting hit hard with large fines, it might even put them out of business. That's probably what's going to take. That's what it's going to take to get them to pay attention and actually start acting. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Now, are there any 
roofing innovations that have caught your attention over the last couple of years? Yeah, so Velcro, right? Yep. Velcro is working with a company called Barley, Versico, and they've uh, come up with a um, Velcro roof system. So you've got a hook and loop system. You put uh, the um, insulation pull down, single ply right to it. And that's their engineered solution to the shortage that we're seeing in our industry. Manufacturers have done that. They're, they're all working on different ways to install systems with less people involved because we have less people working. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. We just had a presentation with it from one of the versatile guys and put it down and off and everything. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I think labor is, is an issue. So any, anything to, to reduce the labor required. Now, one of the, the things I do see a lot more, because I know you're, you're involved in inspections, I think a lot as well, is drone inspections. What are your thoughts on that? So drones are good if you're going to do something simple. You just want to make sure, let's say the guys are tied off. You want to make sure that there's materials loaded on the roof properly. Get a quick scan of the, of the roof itself just to get an idea of what we're going to be working with. Things like that. But they don't, they don't replace the hands-on testing that sometimes you have to do. You can't do a pull test with a drone. You can't cut a cord. You can't read mill thicknesses. You can't lift tile. You can't take flashings. So drones have their place, but but they just can't can't use a drone to do an actual full assessment. You can only just get up there and get a couple of pictures. I think where drones fit in the best is for maybe the safety officer to check on his guys and uh, for marketing. Some really awesome pictures. Yeah, yeah. But I guess, I mean, for for the visual part of the inspection, it's possible. But wherever you need to get, like you said, mill thickness and pull tests and the core samples, you can't do. But pretty much everything right. else, the resolution of the camera has gotten so good that a visual re- inspection of any sort seems to be within grasp. Would you would you say that's true? Yeah, I would agree with that. And, and infrared, too. Oh, yeah. Those are fantastic for infrared if you want to get a, you know, an overall shot of the roof. Yeah. When would you use infrared for, particularly? Well, I like the drones if you're going to um, just want to get a um, a visual of the roof. Maybe check on the guys. Uh, they're good for safety issues, material delivery, things like that. They're also good for infrared imaging when you're doing a moisture surveys. But, of course, a drone doesn't replace hands-on testing and verification. Okay. Sounds good. So, so the hands-on verification you're referring to pull tests and other tests yeah pull tests core tests slick cuts maybe lifting tile to check underlayment flashings things like that some stuff you just gotta go up there and get your hands dirty with absolutely are there any other inspection tools that you use to assess the roof yeah i i'll use a moisture meter it's an Mm -hmm. impedance meter so it sends an electrical current down into the system and returns back with a reading, whether they've suspected moisture or not. And then if there is, we'll use a coring tool. Let's cut a two-inch round hole into the system, cut that, pull it out, and then check for moisture with our eyes and our hands. And I mean, if there's moisture there, you'll find it when you cut that core. But we don't want to go around the roof just cutting cores everywhere. So we want to use non-destructive tools to kind of find out where our areas are. And usually going to do that before you're going to install a new roof so we can decide whether or not 
this earth is salvageable or we have to tear it off. Manufacturers will require that sort of thing for their, their warranties. And it's just a good thing to know because you don't want moisture trapped in your roof system because uh, uh, water will, uh, will destroy everything <laughs> eventually. <laughs> Absolutely. So you've been in the roofing industry a lot and you've been in and out of the roofing industry. What sort of, can you point to any turning points in your life and your career where you kind of sort of felt transformed or kind of felt like you were at a new level? Can you describe any of those points in your, in your life? So I was sick. Mm. I was running a, a roofing business doing uh, primarily inspections for realtors and some small repairs and stuff. And I got sick and I had to go on a therapy, which put me out of business for about a year. And, and so my, I thought that maybe my guys could handle it, but they didn't. Just shut down the business. I had to sell my house. We had to move into a little trailer. It was uh, pretty devastating because I feel like I took a lot of steps backwards in my life and in my career. But also during that time, that's when I was introduced to the concept of roof consulting. Some of that I had already been doing it and wasn't aware. And when I found out I could get paid <laughs> for doing this kind of stuff, it really opened my eyes. And I started doing my research. I found out about RCI and became involved with them and have been uh, doing roof consulting for a handful of years now. And I like it. I like being on this side of the fence. And you know what's really interesting is mm -hmm. being on the design and inspection side outside of the uh, installation side. Mm -hmm. I have learned more uh, doing roof consulting than my 20 or 30 years of actually installing roof systems. And oh, so, wow. What sort of things like that you learned? Well, when you're an installer, contractor, your entire life revolves around installing the roof as quickly as you can in a way where it won't leak. Huh. And so guys will develop their habits, the way they do things, and, and roofers will have their own way. As a consultant, we're looking at the roof uh, more as a from a designer's point of view. And so, so we're seeing it from a slightly different perspective. I'm thinking about stuff like, well, one I'm working on right now, I need to make sure I've got the proper fire rating and the R value on the roof system. I need to make sure that it's going to meet my client's budget. We've got some curves on some air conditioning units, and they're not sure if they want to replace those units or we're going to do something else. So those are all design issues that I have to work on long before any contractor even writes a bid on it. And as a contractor, I mean, those are things I just never thought about because my job was to get the materials up there, nail them down as quickly as I could and move on to the next project. Hmm. Absolutely. So you're basically getting down to the nitty-gritty of the details. Right. Make sure we've got the right system that meets the code and is going to satisfy the client's needs and fit in their budget. And those are a lot of pieces to move around the board. <laughs> Absolutely. So you're holding people while well, you're consulting, but also holding people accountable to these specifications. Where, where do uh, roofing installation companies go wrong? Not reading the specifications mm -hmm. and just doing whatever it was they've done. That's a that's a challenge. I would like to see more training for the roofing industry, for the installers on how to read a job specification properly and why certain designs are important. I think if most guys knew the why behind the what, they would feel okay doing it. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So when you mentioned 
more training. What's the current training standard and what standard do you think needs to be in place? In Arizona, we have some pretty good training. So we got RCI, which is now called IBEC, and which I'm a part of. And we do training, educational type things for consultants and designers. Contractors are more than welcome to come. But it's all on you know the design and function side. ARCA, the Arizona Roofing Contractors Association, they do a lot of installer-type classes on uh, roof systems. Mm-hmm. They'll teach how to install shingles or built-up roofs, or they teach about insulation boards. You know, all those topics are taught. If you're a member, it's five bucks to go to the class. If you're not a member, it's one hundred and fifty dollars to go to the class. That's so pretty good, pretty good deal if you're a member. So a lot of guys will go to that, but but they only get thirty people in that room. And there's there's thousands of contractors running around the state. I mean, thousands of roofers. Mm. And then and the other challenge is is time. So I know I've I've put together some training things and tried to coerce the uh, contractors. I know send your guys, send your guys. You know it's gonna be good for them. You know it's good for them to learn. They go well. They need to be on these jobs. They just don't have time. And in my mind, I'm thinking one was this quality assurance class. I'm thinking if they took this class, it would teach them how to save so much time off of their job. And still have a great job. So <laughs> it was kind of a catch-22. They don't have time to send them to the training. But if they went to the training, they would get their jobs done more efficiently. Yeah, that makes sense. How much could this can this stuff be taught through video and remotely? A lot of it can be. And as a matter of fact, my wife and I was working on, on something like that. Uh, we're going to call it the Arizona School of Roofing. <laughs> it's an online program. And it's just a very basic the basic stuff on how to install various systems and and more importantly, why this material goes with this and not with that. So Mm. some materials just, they're not compatible with each other because they'll have some chemical reactions or or whatever. And so, but but that's in the works. We're also working on an apprenticeship program. This is kind of a, one of our attempts to try to answer the, the labor problem in the industry work with, you know, kids coming out of high school, kids that are in trade schools, and then adults who are trying to re-enter the, the workforce and, and uh, still get out there and work. We're working on that program with the uh, Department of Economic Services here and also the Department of uh, Education. And then I've got a handful of contractors and some manufacturers who are, are ready to jump in with donations of money and things when the time comes. So right now, we're writing the uh, curriculum. I'm projecting about three months before we have final state approval. Now, when these guys go through this program, they get a uh, certification from the state of Arizona that they can take with them anywhere they go and show it to a potential employer, which proves that they have uh, entry-level skill and that should help them in the workforce as compared to the other guy who does not. And also, hopefully, it'll entice more young folks to come into our industry because us old guys, we can't do, we can't work that hard anymore. We need the young guys and gals. Are the uh, are there similar programs in other states, or are, is this something kind yeah. of new that you're doing? Okay, there are similar programs. I don't know when, but I've got a sometime in the next two weeks. I've got a meeting with one of the reps from the Riffers Union. Yep, uh, they called me uh, last week and talked to me about this apprenticeship program, and so they're going to come and talk with me and see if we can get a synergy with them and then I'm working also with ARCA and and then hopefully the Western States Contractors, the Roofing Contractors Association, work with all those folks 
they've all got some kind of programs. They all have some sort of training. So what we've got to do is put it all together in one big pile, pick through it and see what, what work, what we need to uh, teach these guys to make them good entry level. This is only for them to become an entry level worker. And then they go out, they also have their classroom learning. That'll give them all the knowledge that they need to go to go out on the, on the site and work. And then, then they go through the, on the job training portion of it. And they get their little weekly reports and everything and have to complete certain tasks. And then by the end of, by the end of the full training, then they'll be journeyman uh, roofers and they can make a pretty decent check and not have any college loans to pay back either. That's really important. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So we talked about this training stuff you're creating. How about you as a consultant, you probably deal with uh, manufacturers at some level. How well are the manufacturers doing of these various sort of materials to support the contractor or the consultants in the industry? Their focus is on producing uh, materials that are require less labor. Okay. That's their big thing. And then training. So manufacturers, all of them have some sort of AIA type programs. They, um, you know, so you get extra credits and CEUs and all that stuff. And, that, and they'll teach about the, the various roof systems. For example, there used to be a lot of built up. So you put down uh, some paper and they'd, they'd mop that hot bitumen on there and then you put some more paper down and just layer it like that. And that's very labor intensive plus it's dangerous. So the manufacturer started producing that same material on rolls instead so they can roll it out. And then they took the next step and they put an adhesive on it. So now they've got self-adhering material. So you can build a uh, built-up roof now with, with no hot kettles, none of that stuff. You just peel the backing off and literally stick it to the deck. So that's helped uh, quite a bit. And then, they're, and then they're even modifying those designs more and more to make it easier for fewer guys to, to do the work. It does a lot of stuff they're doing. It's self-adhered things. Fully adhere different types of adhesives. Um, they're using like low rise foam with single ply and the Velcro thing. That one was really cool. I, I just got its Velcro. I mean, that just blows <laughs> my mind. But it, yeah, it, and the Velcro company is involved at some level, but it's, it's a really neat product. I like it. And supposedly, the longer it sets up there, the tighter the bond. I don't know if that's true because I've only seen it on a desk, not actually on a roof, but. Uh, hopefully I can see it go down eventually. And that's nothing they'll do too, is if they've got jobs going on, they can invite contractors uh, to come and look at the job. Oh, and take tours of their uh, plants. Yeah. So I got to go watch them make concrete tile. And then we went to the GAF uh, facility here in town and watched them manufacture coating. Let me tell you that the GAF has the cleanest, nicest, most polite, manufacturing plan i ever been in it, it was uh it was it was almost as if nobody was actually working there <laughs> they were playing and having fun <laughs> that's awesome okay well yeah you're, you're involved in lots of different things there's lots of moving pieces in the industry now what are your top sort of habits to keeping everything organized you know three habits or routines for success well i have three walls in my office mm-hmm. so we've got Three different things that I'm working on. I've got some writing I'm doing. I've got the Arizona Roofer and I've got my consulting work. So I use clipboards and post-it notes and little uh, index cards to keep track of, of everything. Clipboards that I use to keep track of my consulting work. Anything on a clipboard has to do with consulting. So that keeps my mind focused on consulting. If it's writing, 
it's little index cards with my notes and they're taped in an, in the order hopefully that I'm going to write whatever the thing is I'm writing and that gets moved around a lot and then with the Arizona River it's on a giant giant like a it's a two by four foot piece of a like a post-it note and I keep all my notes on that one on a different wall so that helps me kind of keep my my focus is my attention focus on the thing that I'm working on at the moment. And and then it helps me because I can't do one thing for very long. I'll get bored with it. Mm. So having multiple things to do really helps me keep my mind focused because when I start to find myself drifting on one thing, I can just jump right over to this other thing and work on that. And that, that helps me. But that's my personal thing. People are different. But I'll get real bored with something real quick. I can, I can barely watch a movie because <laughs> that's two hours of looking at the same thing. Like, ah, I get up and go do something else. That's has to be a real good movie. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. So do you have uh, hobbies outside uh, your work? Yeah. Guitar. Guitar. Okay. Tell me yeah, about Guitar, bass. I play like old eighties metal type stuff. We've got some, I got some old video games with Galaga and Centipede and, my my wife let me go out and buy the like the actual arcade machine. Oh, yeah. I've got my little room over here with some arcade games and my guitar. I got some bass guitars and I'm just going there and play. And then my daughter plays with me. She's thirteen. But <laughs> apparently ukuleles are the cool thing now, so she has the ukulele and I was playing her ukulele and and then just for fun to annoy my wife, my daughter and I will come up with really, really dumb rap songs and chase her around the house rapping at her and terrible at it. She doesn't like it, but we sure have a good time doing it. <laughs> so no, no YouTube videos coming out anytime soon. Not with that. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Now, is there anything that I should have asked you, but didn't? ADOSH has a program called the Roofers Alliance. And they sit down with a bunch of, of mostly the larger, larger roofing contractors sit down with the director of ADOS and they discuss safety topics in the industry. And the last time I spoke with the director of ADOS two weeks ago, there was an interview with him on my, on my website, by the way. Yeah. He said he would like to see manufacturers and smaller companies get involved. So I've been trying to encourage them oh. uh, to get involved because that makes them aware. And he's doing that because he's a good guy and he wants to work with the contractors to get everybody into compliance. Ultimately, though, if they don't, somebody has to step in and enforce it. So if it's not, if it's not ADOS or OSHA, then it's going to be the owners who demand uh, protection. And I have a few clients, too, one specifically that has a zero tolerance with, with concern to fall protection. And that's because they've had people die on their, on their, in their sites. And they, they don't want to see that again. So these guys, I, I just had to deal with that the other day. They didn't, weren't tied off. To, had to go talk to him and you know, call the owner and all this stuff. But that owner has told those guys, if you're not tied off, you don't work. If you don't finish the job on time, I don't pay you. And what's the contractor going to do? He's going to tie off. He's going to make sure it's done. Mm-hmm. It's a strong message. And no, I, w- I wish you the best of luck with that. And uh, yeah, I want to definitely thank you for all the great information you're passing over to us. Well, you're welcome. I hope you can make sense out of all of it. (laughs) I go all over the place. It makes sense. Thank you. And have a great weekend. Okay, you too. Bye now. Bye. So I want to thank everyone for listening to Specify. 
And I also want to thank the listeners specifically that are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place. If you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, please forward it along and send me a note or drop me a comment if you have any feedback or suggestions. Talk to you soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.